Welcome to Money Matters TV. I am Mike Dever, founder and CEO of Brandywine Asset Management, and my co-host is Audrey Greenberg, founder of the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. Our guest today is Donna DeCarlis, founding dean of the Charles D. Close School of Entrepreneurship at Drexel University. Hello, Audrey. Hi, how you doing? Hey, very good, thanks. Um, yeah, it seems like we're going to lead into something that I have a lot of um, interest and familiarity with when we bring Donna on with entrepreneurship. Um, I think all of us pretty much on the show end up being entrepreneurs in some way or another. Uh, and the people watching this, it's going to be a, a great conversation. I question to start out, though, with you, um, with your information and uh, just knowledge on, on medicines and what you're doing at the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. It seems like there's been a lot of new activity in Philadelphia in the life sciences space. Uh, what do you think of that? What, what's going on there? Look, it is a great time to be in Philadelphia. I got to tell you, uh, I was just looking at a report yesterday. We are second only to Miami in terms of VC dollars in the increase year over year from 2020 to 2021. So we saw almost a 400% increase. The nationwide average was you know, under 200. Uh, and then in particular in life science, it's just record breaking year for, for capital investment. Uh, so it's exciting to be here where our city is seeing tons of growth. Uh, I think the rising tide rises all boats and uh, we're happy to be a boat on that ocean. Is that um, going to something in particular or is it was it really broad based or is it that there are one or two big deals and that just brought a lot of new money in in those deals? Is, is it more yeah. diversified? That's a great question. I mean, a lot of a lot of it in Philly in particular is enterprise uh, software as well as healthcare. Those are our two big, big things. But then GoPuff, obviously, is <laughs> a large transaction that uh, took in a lot of dollars. So they're they're representing a, a big chunk of that. But even so, there's a lot of small deals, a lot of big deals, um, a lot of spinoffs out of Penn and Chop, and then uh, just tremendous activity uh, and dollars being invested. So. Uh, I think across the board, it's a good time. Uh, we are seeing some dip in the in the public markets, as as you've noticed, I'm sure, on the front lines there at Brandywine. Uh, but I think it's short-lived. I really do. And I think we'll see an uptick, especially in uh, cell and gene therapy, which is our area of focus. I think as we see some FDA approvals in our space, we'll see see the stock start to rebound. Okay. So you think the um, the dip really over the last year, was it's, it's temporary? Uh, you're going to see things turn around both in the public space and then, you know, potentially with in the private with uh, money coming into new enterprises. Yeah, I think that valuation, any dip in valuations really will be temporary. I think if not next quarter, um, certain, certainly the latter half of this year, as uh, we're expecting a tremendous amount of approvals in our space. So I think as things are just proven more effective, we'll see a lot of that. Okay. Um, and yeah, is that what you've seen then um, coming on? Is there is is the next year going to be more driven by approvals of existing therapeutics and things that are in the pipeline? Is there a lot of brand new stuff that I mean, maybe I wouldn't even know about it yet because it hasn't made uh, you know made it into the surface that people even understand what what's well. That's what's thing. It has so mRNA, right? Which was fast-tracked approval for COVID vaccine. You can now use that technology for other modalities. So it was a nice proof of concept, so to speak. Um, and it got fast-tracked. So we're happy to see that technology working and helping us every day. Uh, right behind that, there's 2,200 about drugs that are in globally that are in the um, regenerative medicine space in terms of clinical trials going on. 
And a lot of them, 1,300 of them, over 1,300 are in cancer. Uh, and then another in neurological, you know, Alzheimer's is like 175 in neurological, about another 100 in cardiovascular, so heart disease. It's exciting to see some progress happening there. Uh, and then about 100 in rare disease. Actually, February is rare disease month, and February 28th is rare disease day, where we recognize the 8,000 uh, rare diseases uh, plus that are out there. Uh, unfortunately, because of the perspective of return on investment, oftentimes those are not investigated, but there's a lot of the people suffering out there and families suffering. So rare disease, there's about 100 rare disease trials. And then um, stroke actually as well. So about 100 strokes. So, there's, so we're seeing cell therapy, gene therapy, and now gene editing and mRNA, all the modalities within advanced therapies. Um, and certainly uh, gene editing is looking very promising. So excited about the developments there. And um, a lot of that, like I said, uh, mRNA and gene therapy, a lot of the technologies that came out of University of Pennsylvania between Weissman and Carl June and Jim Wilson, some of these world-renowned scientists in the advanced therapy space. Well, well the, um, the, the, the new the gene therapy and the mRNA, will that make it easier for those rare diseases to attract people trying to, to solve them? Yeah, yeah, because the, the timeline is condensed because um, you're getting compassionate use or you're getting, um, you know, fast-tracked approval with the FDA. So because of that fast-tracked approval and that shortened timeline, you're getting the, even though the patient population is smaller. And so that's one thing, right? You're getting the return faster. But then what's great about it is you have a platform that was fast-tracked and you prove that it works on a smaller population and you can take that technology and apply it to populations that uh, are larger and that uh, have wider spread indications. So if you could just take take a minute, and remind us what uh, Center for Breakthrough Medicines, what's what's your focus and how are you helping in this this entire cause? Yeah, we're really Center for Breakthrough Medicines is a Philadelphia based cell and gene therapy focused contract development and manufacturing organization. It's a mouthful, but essentially what we do is enable startup companies and large-scale manufacturers to develop and manufacture their advanced therapies. So we're an outsourced solution that helps these companies really save uh, their very precious capital dollars uh, so that they can use it to come up with ideas for new drugs rather than on building a facility and hiring talent and buying bioreactors and equipment. It's really expensive to get a facility online and it takes a long time. And as you can tell with the stock market fluctuations, really having flexibility is key. So when you outsource to a partner, you can grow quickly, you can shrink quickly, and uh, you can save those precious investment dollars and save your time trying to hire talent in this really competitive marketplace. So we're a good solution for those innovator companies. Thanks for asking. Sure. Yeah, no, it's, you're the, uh, the AWS of, uh, of, the, of the production That's know, right. for, for medicines. That's great. It's a good um, way we, to yeah, we do have an audience question. Um, this is Tim Mason in Philadelphia. How is genome research helping cell therapy? Yeah, Tim, good question from Tim. Um, so being able to map the human genome and understanding what genes are responsible for certain inherited uh, or genetic problems, you're able to fix that particular gene or set of genes for that matter. So uh, it's, it's good to know that there's... Um, a ton of research taking place in terms of the genome. And actually, you know, what's also very interesting is using artificial intelligence to find candidates for clinical trials. 
um, and understanding. Um, so there's a lot of not only research taking place in the genome, but also with clinical trial candidacy. Um, and we're able to get rid of some of the disparity and discrimination that exists in clinical trials as well by using artificial intelligence solutions. I was just at a conference last week in Miami, and a lot of it uh, was some of these software providers and some of these artificial intelligence solutions and just the new, the future of medicine. It's not just um, in terms of therapies, but it's all these enabling processes that allow you to either do things remotely, do things more efficiently, or do them more effectively. And so we're really excited about the technology that's out there, not just in terms of drugs and therapies, but also in terms of supporting solutions. That's great. Well, thank you very much. Um, if you're interested in sending your question, here's how to send your question in to Money Matters TV. You can have your questions answered on Money Matters. Please go to our website, money-matters-tv.com. On our homepage, click on the banner on the right that says, send us your questions. While you're on our website, you can find information about our hosts and guests, as well as show notes and links about this show and past shows. Money Matters is also available as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can listen to Money Matters while you're on the go. That website address, again, is money, M-O-N-E-Y, dash matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, tv.com thank you and so with that audrey we bring on donna de to this week's episode of money matters tv uh, once again donna is founding dean of the charles d close school of entrepreneurship at drexel university hello donna hi good afternoon mike thank you for having me yeah absolutely it's, it's great to have you on here i mean i I've, i think i've been an entrepreneur since um i, I started a first little selling rocket plans as a, a kid when I was about 10 years old in the back of um, comic books. So <laughs> right. I, I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> it. It's it's interesting what's been happening. Um, you, 20, 30 years ago or when I was younger, there was there was no field of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Entrepreneur. It was just people just sort of did it. So it, it's now really a cutting edge field, this uh, entrepreneurship education gaining prominence on uh, college campuses, you know, all across the country. Right. You know, why as the founding dean, I mean, you started your school. Why should universities be incorporating promoting entrepreneurship and education? Uh, great question. You know, big picture, entrepreneurs are really the crux of any economy, right? Uh, they drive economic development. They drive social change. They put forward knowledge and innovation. And so, um, the, the role of the university is really, as we say at Drexel, that entrepreneurship education really empowers everyone. Um, the importance of entrepreneurship to the economy, again, economic development, societal change, all of these only happen if we are really as a society and as, as educational institutions, uh, teaching people how to be entrepreneurs. And so, you know, you bring up a really good point in that 30 years ago, entrepreneurship wasn't such a big field in schools. And then what happened was it evolved in the business school. And so I think it's important to frame the conversation around the distinction between the terms entrepreneur and entrepreneurship. One is a person and one is a process. And typically in a business school, the, the process of entrepreneurship is taught, right? It's entrepreneurial marketing and law and finance. And then you take a business plan class 
And then you graduate and we tell you you're an entrepreneur. But as both of you know, you know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, being, being an entrepreneur is really about a mindset. It's about your innovative thinking and approach and how you execute. And those are things that need to be part of an entrepreneurship education. Yeah. So, so the idea of, of an independent school of entrepreneurship is really how do we, how do we teach um, the character of being an entrepreneur, you know, to Mike's point, you know, when he was little, he was, I don't know what you were selling there, Mike, but, you know, I think we all have this inner entrepreneur and then at some point society beats it out of us. Um, and, and throughout our lives, we all, what I call, we have these like small acts of entrepreneurship. We change careers, we end a relationship, we move, we do these things and, and so what's interesting about the word entrepreneur is it's from the French and the Latin, which means to reach out and grasp. And there's uncertainty in that. And so I think that, you know, with a, with a school of entrepreneurship that really focuses on how do we develop the person, the character, together with, of course, the necessary business skills uh, that, that teach you how to, to start something. But being an entrepreneur is really about having initiative, confidence, resilience, determination. And those things are only done with practice. You need to start something over and over again. You need to start, you need to fail, you need to start, you need to fail. And, and I think that you know that's really the platform at the Close School of Entrepreneurship is that we've developed um, a, a curriculum and extracurricular programming where students will start something over and over again. Uh, so that's, you know, this is the importance. And as we look at what's happening in the Philadelphia region, look what's happening in the economy, uh, the importance of entrepreneurship, it's important that we develop not just the business and the technical skills, but how do we develop the character of this next generation of entrepreneurs to bring these innovations to, to life to not be afraid of failure, to, to learn how to, to manage their options. I mean, look at the pandemic. We've all had to figure out how to manage our options there. Yeah. Um, also you, give you, I, yeah. I'm sorry, one second. Just to get back up mine, I was selling model rocket plans. Okay, there you <laughs> and, go. <laughs> and, and I think the one thing I would add that what you need as an entrepreneur, in my case, was maybe a bit of ignorance. Because I remember yeah. people saying, oh, don't you need to set up a company and you need this, and you need that, and you got to file this return or do whatever. And I didn't, I, all I want to do is sell a rocket plan. I figured out how to put it in the back of a, the, the comic book, the little ad section there. And, and that was that, you know, I forget all that other stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, you figure it out. You got to be scrappy. I, you, that's what I was going to say. Like, if I look at my life and and all the people I know that have just killed it and been really successful entrepreneurs, if I think about the traits that they have, it's, you know, like what you were just saying, the grit, the risk taking, being resourceful, willing to do whatever it takes, you know, work ethic. It's not the people that did well in school. And so I agree with you that schools aren't are sort of taking away the entrepreneur stuff. So that I was going to ask you more about that. What are you doing in your curriculum to really sure. teach this stuff? I don't understand. So you say they have to start and fail and start and fail. So what does that look like? What does the classroom look like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so we've you know starting from scratch, you know, we had the 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 great um, advantage of starting a whole new school from scratch and looking at the way entrepreneurship should be taught. 
And we said, you know what, how do we really develop that character, uh, that resilience? And so we have, and it has to be an experience. It has to be an apprenticeship. And you have to have a commitment of instructors that understand that, that are just as interested in your market research as they is as they are in, in developing your character, your resilience. So we have a course, we developed a course called Ready, Set, Fail. How do you handle failure? Uh, how do you mitigate risk, but also how do you handle failure? We have a course in you know life after launch. We have a course in leading teams. We have a course in ideation. We have a course in mindfulness and well-being. How do you stay present uh, in a very chaotic, uh, chaotic world? So we have a whole um, core of courses, if you will, that really deal with the character. And and you know, just I wanted to say a couple of things. So. Um, you know, when I say the word, and this is to your point, Audrey and, and Mike, when I say the word entrepreneur, you know, you, you're not thinking of the person that can code like there's no tomorrow or that knows how to do financial statements. You're thinking of the person that takes calculated risks, that is not afraid to fail, that knows how to manage their options. This is what we think of when we think of entrepreneur. And the typical curriculum through the, the past few years has really focused on the business skills, as I said, which is necessary. So how do we develop that character? And so that's what, you know, we, so as we develop that set of courses, we also have in, and embedded in our courses are ways for students to start, uh, to start ideas, to start projects. We have, we give out little bits of money to students to de-risk their ideas. Uh, we have an incubator, our wonderful Biota Institute uh, mm -hmm. for students to incubate. We have some funding. So there's lots of ways. And, and of course, there's networking and mentors. But the idea is to immerse them. And the wonderful thing about it, a school of entrepreneurship is that these students are around like-minded individuals. Uh, so they're, they're talking to each other. They're networking. They're encouraging each other. They're learning about each other's ideas. Uh, and, and so that's that's the way that we do this. Do you, do you think that it could be done without being independent? Could it be integrated into the curriculum of a, a you know regular school, or should it? I mean, it sounds like obviously your answer is that it has to be, it must be, it should be at least an independent yeah. school. So, so that's a great question. So this was this is Drexel University's strategy, right? So, uh, you know. Um, wonderful leadership that we have, you know, we, we made the decision that we would create an independent school of entrepreneurship. I, I think the idea is not so much where it's taught, Mike, but how it's taught. And so you'll see, um, I see it popping up with, you know, my fellow academics that are in entrepreneurship, that they're adopting this idea that entrepreneurship is really more than just the process. It's the mindset. It's developing the individual. So yes, sure. And I think it's really just um, how a university or a school sets up their curriculum to really teach the entrepreneurial character in, in addition to you know, the process. The other thing that we do at Drexel in the close school is not only do we have a set of courses that really deals with developing this character and our whole approach and the, and the business skills that are necessary, but all students are required to minor, and it's like 24 or 30 credits or more in their area of market interest. So they may want to minor in finance and marketing and nutrition and sports management and computer design. So they're graduating, right, with a depth of sort of market skills 
and they're learning the entrepreneurial character in the business process. So is this for everyone? I mean, look, nature, nurture, are you born? Can it be taught? <laughs> and, and also like, I, I don't know, I took entrepreneurship at Wharton. They had a couple of great classes. And, you know, there were some people in my class and I looked at them and I thought, why are they taking this? Like, I, I just, yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's for everyone or not. So, so I would argue that I think higher education, especially today, has an obligation uh, to teach students um, how to be resilient and confident and manage their options. You know, I could talk forever. We could all talk forever about how the labor market has changed, that we don't know what jobs are going to be now five, you know, five years from now because everything is changing. So um, the next, this coming generation is going to have to know how to pivot. They're going to have to know how to change their careers, how to learn quickly. These are all entrepreneurial things. So I don't know if I'm answering your question. So, so will everyone start a company? I don't think that's the, the problem with the word entrepreneur right now and entrepreneurship is everybody thinks it's, it means starting a company, but it's a very narrow view of what that word is. Because if we look at companies now, we see it at Drexel University, companies are looking for students that have innovative mindsets. We see it in job descriptions that have initiative, that have resilience, things that, you know, they used to be called soft skills. They're really power skills, right? These are the things that we, that students need to have. And so, you know, back to the nature nurture thing, I'm a firm believer that again, all of us have this inner entrepreneur that we all really have these things that we would like to do that we want to embrace change, but, but we're afraid. And so, you know, can we teach someone to be, I don't know, you know, the Elon Musk, I don't know, you know, but, but we can, you know, we can teach them to have an entrepreneurial character. I mean, I get that pushback, you know, but we teach people to be doctors, to be lawyers. We have leadership courses, you know, so um, why not courses in, in learning to be resilient and confident. And the best way to do that is I think an entrepreneurship education, we say in the close school, entrepreneurship education empowers everyone because if you if you think about starting something you know how much pow power is there in really starting something you learn how to gather resources how to deal with people how to mitigate risk um how to deal with teams how to network and, and to to your point audrey you know or i think it was mike's point you're not going to know everything but that shouldn't stop you and so if we can develop this generation of students that at least tries then we've then we've done a good thing and these gen z's are wonderful by the mm. way you know they all they they all want to solve a problem uh they've grown up with entrepreneurship um so it's the it's it's the perfect time for entrepreneurship at university yeah it's it seems like everybody needs to be an entrepreneur i mean i think it's more so maybe now than it was 100 years ago but if, if you're in a leadership position you're running a company you you've got to be driving an initiative and a lot of things that you would consider being an entrepreneur. Now you mentioned inner entrepreneur. What, what do you mean by inner entrepreneur or another phrase you've, um, you've got, I know is small acts of entrepreneurship. And, yes. and how did, yeah, how does that fit into teaching entrepreneurship? So, you know, I've been in education for a while and, you know, the thing that I, that I really notice with students is 
everybody's a lot of students seem to have this idea they want to move ahead with something or they want to do a career change or they want to try something new and so there's a part of us i believe uh it's part of our survival right we need to change to survive and so this inner entrepreneur i think needs to be nurtured um and i think that throughout our lives i call them small acts of entrepreneurship as i mentioned you know a few minutes ago we do things that that change our lives to help us survive uh we end a relationship we start a relationship we move we change jobs um it's, it's so many things that are really entrepreneurial in nature but we don't we don't recognize it as such um so and i think this is what we try what we put into our curriculum is that yes there's an inner entrepreneur in you and you know ready set fail you know you're gonna you're gonna try new things and you're gonna find out that if it doesn't work out, how do you manage those options and move on to the next thing? And that's a, that's really a life lesson. And, and what other life lessons? Do you have any advice for all the people out there that are interested in potentially being part of this great resignation that's occurring? The great and, resignation. Um, starting a company. How, what what advice do you have? Um. Uh, so there was a great article in the wall street journal about this how workers are like leaving in droves from their companies you know they're finding these other, and and it's a gig economy people are doing both right if you really want to start something i think you really need to define the problem what is your solution and then as the you know the the, the steve blank model of you know the the uh, the, the business model canvas you got to get out of the building you you got to talk to your potential customers and you have to network I think those are the most important things. You cannot be afraid. And the other thing that I see students do, um, and I see entrepreneurs that I work with do, you, you need to not, you need to take things in small steps. Let's hit a milestone. Let's see what went wrong, iterate, go back. Do, you know, you, you need to have a big picture, but you're not going to get that big picture all at once. The, um, do you have any example? We got another maybe a minute of, you know, somebody, what they've done within your, your school, how they've come out and uh, just a, a success story or a couple kind of indications of what you've seen. Yes. You know, how you've yes. Impact. Yeah. So um, there's a we have a company, if I can say it's called um, Sharing Excess. This was this this young man was actually my very first student. And his, his idea was how do we, um, he started out with um, meal swipes, you know, students have meal swipes, but a lot of them went unused. So one Christmas several years ago, he swiped all of his meals and went into Philadelphia and gave them to the homeless and thought his business was born sharing excess. He's, oh, he's, he's pivoted and he's, um, uh, he's changed his model a few times, but he's given out like millions of pounds of food already. And that's really one of our success stories. We just had a company that's a, um, a grocery delivery company that just got a huge investment. They're called Lula. Um, so we have a lot of interesting um, uh, companies that have, that have come out of our incubator. Um, oh, that's great. Uh, I, Donna, I really appreciate it. Um, it very interesting. Uh, entrepreneurs you. really do drive the economy and it's, it's, sure. seeing, it's great seeing how you're driving them. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks for having thank me. You're very welcome. Thank you. And, and thank you all for watching Money Matters TV, where your money matters. We'll see you next time.